You're listening to the Central City Assembly podcast. We're dedicated to sharing content that magnifies and multiplies Jesus for the good of our city and helps you grow in your love for Jesus. So enjoy this episode and may you be filled with the love of God the Father. I need to give credit where credit is due. Um, That intro video is of an art piece created by artist Michael Murphy. Okay, remember his name, maybe write it down um, and go look up some of his artwork. It's pretty amazing. Um, Now I'll preface that he does get uh, polemic. He gets a little political with some of his artwork. We're going to hold off on that video for just a second. Um, And... uh, but they're, they're really fascinating whenever you see them. Um, but Michael Murphy, he specializes in, in what he calls perceptual art. Everybody say perceptual art. Perceptual art. Um, and I love this kind of art because it messes with your brain, with your mind. How many of you like having your mind mess with a little bit? Only me? Just a few of us. Okay. A little crazy is just like me. Um, it's oddly satisfying to, to, to first see something that looks kind of chaotic and messy, and then all of a sudden it turns into something purposeful and beautiful. Um, so go ahead and play that video. Here are a couple other art pieces that he, he's done before. Um, this one's called Branded. You can see the different brands. And you can kind of see it come out a little bit there. But all the different pieces... And then you zoom out, and then you can start seeing. Right, so he's definitely saying something there, right? We'll show a few more. All right, this one's political. This is Make America Great Again. Made of dollar bills. Whether you agree with it or not, it's amazing that he can do that. So cool. Here's another one. I think. This one's called The Immigrant. It's very similar to that opening. Which is chaos and messy and then all of a sudden, things come into focus. So amazing. We've got one more for you. This one's called United Together. And I don't know what these are made of. They kind of look like different colored marshmallows. But then once you get into the right spot, it all comes together. And you see that fist there. So amazing, right? So cool. Um, and I think if you were there in person and you, you got to interact with it, it would just be even more incredible because you could take your time, kind of weave in and out of everything, um, get to interact with it. Because right from, from one angle, it's kind of unsettling. right? You immediately think, what the heck am I looking at? Um, it creates tension in you because we as human beings, we don't like messy things. 
We don't like chaos or disorder. We don't like not knowing what something is. Things have to make sense. We, we want to take the messes, clean them up, put them back all together. Right? And we even do that with this, this kind of artwork that Michael Murphy does. So when we finally see the art piece from the right angle and we see what the artist intends for us to see, we reach resolve. Right? When that eye finally comes into focus, it's like, ah, right? kind of like a, a breath of fresh air. Um, it, it's similar to that, that graphic that I showed you at the beginning of, of the, the perspective. Um, it, it's word art. But when you first see it, you're like, what the heck is that? What two-year-old wrote that down, right? Um, but then when you see it, you reach resolve again. You're like, oh, it says perspective. Right? But that's not it, right? Because then whenever the word flips upside down and you change your perspective of it, you see, oh, it, it still reads perspective. It's an ambigram. Upside down, right side up, it reads the exact same thing. It's satisfying. But that's not all, right? Because it's also the word perspective. You're like, wait a second. I just changed my perspective on that word perspective, and it still reads perspective. And it's like, whoa, right? It's like Inception, that movie, but with word art. So many layers. I love it. Right? Which Michael Murphy's art with, with ambigrams, with uh, other art forms that mess with human perspective, the point is that you have to have the right perspective for it to make sense. If you don't have the right visual perspective, you won't understand what the creator of the art piece is trying to convey. You need proper perspective. And isn't that such a great analogy for life? I mean, how many people go through life on this planet feeling like everything is just random? That we and the, the world around us all are just like those balls floating through space. And people are constantly trying to reach that resolve trying to make sense of the, the seeming chaos and disorder and messiness of life. And many people, they go through life thinking that no matter how they look at it, how they change their perspective, it all just seems random and pointless. Right? They can't make sense of it all. And I don't know about you, but that, that seems like a terrible way to live. But this is exactly what Paul is addressing in his letter to the believers in Philippi and in turn to us in modern times. Paul is acting like an interpreter of the master artist, the master creator God. Because if we're honest with ourselves, and I would encourage you to do that mostly, most of the time in your life, to be honest with yourself. When we look at God's art piece, his creation, it's hard not to see chaos and randomness sometimes. It's hard to make sense of, of the world and, and of life, right? You turn on the news, you scroll through social media for just a little bit, and that's a lot of what you see. Chaos, messiness, nothing but bad news. And surprisingly, in this letter, Paul, he affirms our suspicions. He says, you're absolutely right, right? There are problems. There is pain. There is chaos and messiness in the world, but... If you look at it all from the right perspective, from the right mindset, then the pieces come together and you begin to see what the master creator, God, intended you to see. That in the midst of the messiness, there is beauty. In the midst of chaos, there is order. In the midst of problems and pain, there is purpose. 
And so the, the book or the letter to the Philippians, it's all about perspective. Say that word with me, perspective. And can we all agree right now that in the climate of our culture and of our world that we need proper perspective? Can we just all agree on that right now? Right, when there are so many different views, so many different thoughts and opinions out there, right, we need proper perspective. And can we also all agree that there is no better perspective than the perspective of the artist or the creator? Right, because the creator is ultimately the one who knows the true purpose and meaning of it all, even when we can't make sense of it all. So before we move any further in this series, let's agree together that God's perspective is better than my perspective, your perspective, right? God's ways are better than our ways. But through Paul, through scripture, God doesn't withhold proper perspective from us. He gladly wants to give it to us because he knows we'll have more peace. We'll have more joy more hope, more love, more faith, so much more of what God wants us to have through Jesus Christ, more perspective, amen? And so this week, we're gonna look at the first 11 verses of Paul's letter to the Philippians. Uh, the, these first 11 verses, they're just Paul's introductory statements, um, but he wastes no time bringing proper perspective to us. Right, there's there are really good perspective shifts that Paul wants us to have, and I'm excited to dig into them with you this morning. Who else is excited? All right, cool. I'm going to need you. This is a first series. We need this to be exciting and fun so that you want to come back, okay? So help me preach this message this morning. Lots of amens, lots of preach-its, lots of, I don't know, anything else. Encouragement. Cool. Um, so the, the title of today's message is God's Guide to Joy. God's guided joy. Let's, let's pray. Let's ask God to be with us this morning. God, we thank you for the work that you're doing in each one of us. We thank you that, that you, are, you are doing something in us, through us. You have plans for us. You have purpose for us. God, there, there are things that you want us to fulfill in this life. And God, you, you are making those things happen in us and through us whenever we, whenever we open ourselves to you. And so, God, just to have greater perspective of that, we pray that you would give us the right view, the, the right perception of life around us, the world, so that we can fulfill your purpose for us, God. We thank you. Would you lead us and guide us through Philippians? We say all of these things in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Amen. All right, so open your Bibles to the book of Philippians. It's a fun word to say, Philippians, okay? Um, Open your digital Bible, your physical Bible. If you don't have a Bible, we have some on the back table, like right whenever you come in. Um, and you are welcome to keep that for yourself, all right? That's our gift to you. But open to Philippians, and as you're opening there, um, I want to give you some background on this very short letter. Uh, so Paul, he's writing from, does anybody know? Prison. Yeah, jail. He's in prison. He's been wrongfully imprisoned because he has this little habit uh, of talking about Jesus everywhere he goes, and it sometimes causes problems along the way. He can't stop it. He's addicted to, to talking about Jesus. Uh, so the Roman government, they throw him in prison. Right? Maybe that will shut him up. But what we'll see next week is that that plan backfires in an amazing way, those silly Romans. Um, so that, that, that's where he's writing it from. Now, scholars, they're not sure um, where Paul is imprisoned. It could be in Rome. 
It could be in a a Roman prison in, in Ephesus. We're just not sure. But we are sure that Paul is writing to a church, a congregation that he started in the city of Philippi. I mean, and that's in the region of Macedonia. And we can read about the start of the church in Philippi in Acts chapter 16. And I would encourage you to go home and read that chapter. It tells you all about the start of the church there. Uh, But basically, Paul has this dream of a man from Macedonia saying, come to Macedonia. And so Paul takes that as a a hint, as a leading from the Lord. And on one of his missionary journeys, he, he goes to Macedonia. And the first place he reaches and settles in is the city of Philippi. Okay, but when he gets there, there are no prominent Jewish presence there. Right? During Paul's journeys, his strategy is that he would typically go to a synagogue first, uh, fellowship with them, read scripture with them, get that foundation of God, and then point people to Jesus. And then after doing that for a little bit, he'd go to the Gentiles, which just means people who are not Jewish, and then he'd share the gospel with them. Right? But Paul can't do this strategy in Philippi because there is no synagogue. No synagogue. Now, to, for context, um, to start a synagogue in a city just requires 10 people. 10 men, specifically. And that's it. So in all of Philippi, which was a major Roman city at that time, there aren't 10 Jewish men who can or who are willing to form a synagogue. But Paul, if you know him, he's not one to give up. He starts walking the city, and he he happens upon a a group of women, Jewish women, who are in a prayer meeting. And one of them is named Lydia, who is a wealthy businesswoman. She she comes to know Jesus. Her and her whole family are baptized. Paul later encounters a slave girl who is possessed um, by, by a spirit of divination. And her owners are using her for profit, for, um, for fortune-telling. And so Paul is like, well, that's not good. He tells the spirit to flee in the name of Jesus. It flees, and the, the girl is set free. Right? She eventually, I'm skipping some parts, but she eventually joins up with Lydia and, and her, her other lady friends, and they start all walking to, with Jesus together. And again, you can read more about that story in Acts. But all of that to say... The church is planted in Philippi by Paul and a handful of women. Paul sometimes gets a bad rap from modern readers as being sexist and misogynist. But if that were true, would he have given Lydia, the women praying, this, this you know, bound servant girl, would he have given them any of his time? Would he have even started a church with these women? I don't think so. So we need to kind of drop that perspective of Paul. And so the, the church in Philippi is planted, which becomes the first church in what we call modern-day Europe. Right? There was nothing called Europe back then, but we know it now as, as Europe. All right, so he, Paul, he eventually leaves Philippi to go plant other churches. And at the time of this this writing, writing Philippians, it's been about 10 years, about a decade has passed. And when you read Paul's opening remarks, it seems that distance and time has caused his heart to grow fonder and more loving towards his brothers and sisters in Christ and Philippi. And I'm convinced, especially when you read Paul's other letters to other churches, that Philippi is his most favorite church, right? The apostle's pet, okay? That, that, Philippi is amazing. 
Um, because this letter, and we'll see it, it exudes love and appreciation and joy for the Philippians. Paul really cares about these people. So let's go ahead and read, starting in verses 1 through 8. And let's hear the tone of this letter. Verse 1, it says, Paul and Timothy. So they're, they're kind of together. Timothy's not in prison. He's kind of standing by, taking orders, serving with, with Paul. Uh, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons, grace and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 3, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Verse 7, it is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. You hear the tone just of the opening of the letter, right? Two things that I noticed right away about these opening verses. And the first is that Paul really, really loves this church, right? This is a love letter. How convenient for the Valentine's Day, right? Um, right? Do you hear the love and affection overflowing? It's like, get a room, you two, right? It's crazy. And you might think, well... That's how Paul addresses all of his churches that he's planted. But he doesn't. He doesn't. Because when you read Paul's letters to the church and say Corinth or, or Galatia, for example, uh, he addresses himself as apostle. I'm apostle Paul. All right? But here in Philippi, he is servant. Very different tone. Right? It's like that, that one teacher um, or professor that you had who insisted that you call them Mr. or Mrs. or even Doctor, right? And if you didn't, they corrected you. Um, they were teacher, you were student, and you definitely were not friends, right? That was just the, the dynamic. But maybe you also had that teacher who insisted that you call them by their first name, right? Yes, they were your teacher, but it was as if your learning wasn't from them, but with them. Right? And that's what we see going on in the, the differences between churches. The churches in Corinth and Galatia, they had some serious problems, big problems. Paul had to address some big sin problems, so it was appropriate to, to put on the apostle badge, right? The leader, the, the authority figure to straighten them out, so to speak. But what's interesting about his letter to the Philippians is that Paul never mentions the word sin or sinner. Not once. Right? There's no rebuke or correction in this letter. He's not Apostle Paul, but servant Paul. Right? The Philippian church in Paul's eyes is amazing. Right? Like you guys. Right? Y'all are amazing. I love you guys. Um, not that they w were perfect or that they didn't have sin, right? but they continually pursued the life-transforming gospel for themselves and for the people around them. And because of this, because of this faithful partnership, Paul is overflowing with love for them. All right, so first thing I know, this is a love letter, right? Uh, but the second thing I notice 
is that he's also overflowing with joy. Everybody say joy like you mean it, right? Joy, okay? This is a joy letter. You didn't know there was such a thing. It's because I made it up, but it's a joy letter. Now, again, Philippians is short, all right? Only four chapters, 140 verses, and you could probably read it in 15 to 20 minutes, right? And of those 140 verses, the topic of joy is mentioned 19 times. That's a lot for a short letter like this. Philippians is Paul's most joy-filled writing. He's so happy. He's so content. He's so pleased with God and with the church and Philippi. And what makes that so intriguing is because he's where again? Prison. And we're not talking minimum security prison like we might have in some places today. No, because Paul, he he was such a high-profile figure. Because his habit of talking about Jesus caused so much trouble everywhere he went, they didn't just throw him in a cell and leave him there. No, at all times, Paul was chained to a Roman soldier. All times, all day. And so as he's writing this letter, the chains are jingling. You can imagine the the, the Roman soldier arm going everywhere Paul's arm goes. Not only that, but they didn't typically feed prisoners during Roman times. Prisoners were allowed to get and eat food, but they had to rely on outside sources in order to get it. And if you didn't have outside sources, sorry, you're in prison, right? It's not daycare. Also, we read later that Paul's future is questionable. He has no idea if he will be released or if Rome will decide that they're just tired of him and just execute him. People were very disposable back in the day, right? His life is in the hands of the Roman government. So think about this. For a traveling missionary, apostle, evangelist, right, church planter, prison is the last place you would want to be. But Paul is still just overflowing with joy. And joy, get this, is very much a perspective. Joy is a perspective. Right? It's an outlook on life. Joy is a mindset because Paul, he has every right in his circumstances to throw the biggest pity party, right? No one would blame him if his letter was full of woe is me-isms. And we'll read later all of the terrible things that he went through on his missionary journeys. But instead, his perspective on life and his circumstances is one of joy, Right? And that is the primary perspective that Paul wants to teach us through this letter, through Philippians. Right? Some would even say that Philippians is God's guide to joy. Right? And Paul, speaking from, from current experience, he wants you to know this. If I have any points, this is the first one. Right? He wants you to know that your circumstances might not change, but your perspective can Your circumstances might not change, but your perspective can. And we all need to be reminded of that from time to time. But I'm I'm thinking some of us here today listening online need to hear that especially today. Your circumstances might not change, but your perspective can. You know what? You might be stuck in that job that you hate for a lot longer than you want to. You might be I know low blow, Valentine's Day. You might be single for longer than you want to. It might take a long time for your spouse, for your kids to change the way you want them to. 
that illness, it might not ever go away. Right? Masks might not ever go away. We may never get back to normal. Right? That stimulus money we've been told about, that might not ever come. Right? Your circumstances might not change, but your perspective can. And God, through Paul's letter to the Philippians, wants to help us do that. Right? Your perspective can change. And how do we know that? Because we have this amazing example of Paul in terrible circumstances, but with this perspective of joy. Now, that, that doesn't mean that Paul, he's just suppressing or, or somehow denying his circumstances, right? Everything is fine, right? Nothing to worry about. God is good all the time, right? No, no, Paul, he knows, he knows that his life is at risk. He knows that he might not ever leave that prison, that he might not ever see the people he loves ever again. But he's full of joy. So either Paul is a raving lunatic, or he knows something that we don't, but should. Paul, he's tapped into something that everyone has access to, but not many people fully embrace. Because while Paul mentions joy 19 times in this small letter, he mentions Jesus 61 times, and he mentions the gospel more than any other New Testament book. Hmm, I think Paul is, is on to something here. Right? You don't have to be super smart to see the connection between joy and Jesus, right? between the gospel and joy. And what Paul has learned is that if you want joy in your life, you have to also want Jesus. If you want joy in your life, you also have to want to embrace the gospel. There's no other way. And when you submit your life to the gospel of Jesus, you will receive joy. Now, don't get me wrong. Okay, you might find joy in your job, but you can lose your job. You might find joy in your family, but you can lose your family. You might find joy in your stuff, but you can lose your stuff. You know what? You might find joy in your favorite football team, but you can lose that joy when your quarterback breaks off his foot early in the season, and then it's done. Right? Poor Dak Prescott, my, my man. Right? But you can never lose your Jesus. You can never lose your Jesus. The gospel can never be taken away from you. And therefore, Jesus is our surest source of joy. And so Philippians is God's guide to joy. And Paul, through experience, he's teaching us how we can have that overall perspective of joy in life, no matter what our circumstances might be. And in each section of this letter, Paul doesn't hold back. He unlocks a better perspective to have on life, and with each new perspective comes greater joy. Right? That's Paul's hope. That's his prayer in his writing. Let's keep reading. Chapter 1, verse 9. Paul says this, And it is my prayer that your love this is love for God and love for each other. That your love may abound more and more. Right? With knowledge, that's knowledge of God and all discernment. That's knowledge practically applied to everyday life. Verse 10, so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. 
Paul's hope and prayers are for more, more, more of what God wants for us through Jesus Christ. More joy, more love, more hope, more wisdom, more, 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 more perspective. Do you see that? So how many of us want joy? All of us. Right? And if you can't raise your hand, I know there's someone inside you saying, I need a little joy. I need more joy. All of us want more joy. Okay? So here's my challenge for you. I see my wife waving her hand back through the window. That's so amazing. Um, so if we want joy, here's my challenge to you. All right? Philippians, it's a short book, like I said. Four chapters. 140 verses. You could read it in 15 to 20 minutes. And so if Philippians is God's guide to joy and you want more joy, then it makes sense for us to read this book, right? And, and not just a little bit, a few verses every Sunday, but the whole book every single day. So here's my challenge to you. Take 15 to 20 minutes out of your day every day and read or listen to the book of Philippians all the way through. Right, every day while we are in this series, right, and let's just see what happens to our joy through the process. What do we have to lose? 15, 20 minutes, right? We spend more time scrolling through Facebook, right? All right, so that's my challenge for you. Let's see what happens. Okay, but like I said, um, with each section, Paul helps us unlock a new perspective on life, right? And that includes these introductory statements. He doesn't hold back. He just jumps right in. And the first perspective shift that Paul wants us to have, and it's subtle, right? You miss it. That's why I'm here is to help us see it, right? But the first thing he wants us to, to see and have our uh, perspective shift on is about our identity. Okay, who are you? That's a big question, isn't it? How would you go about answering that question? Not what do you do, but who are you? You know how on social media you can write out a short bio, right, about who you are. Well, when I had Facebook, um, I liked to write that I was a follower of Jesus, a husband, a father, and a pastor. I would write, I'm not ashamed of the gospel or of being a millennial. And if you're a millennial, you can borrow that one. I, I give you permission. All right? But what do you, do you write in your bio? All right? What details about yourself do you include? Here's something that you probably don't include. Right? You probably don't include that, hey, I'm a saint. How many of us have that in our description of who we are? I'm a saint. Right? On Facebook, I'm a husband. I'm a father. Oh, and, and I'm a saint. Uh, on LinkedIn, I'm a graphic designer. I really know Excel. Oh, yeah, I'm a saint. Right? We don't do that. Right? Now, when we think about ourselves in relationship to holy perfect, almighty God, we don't think of ourselves as saints, generally, do we? Most people typically think of themselves as what? Sinners. Sinners, right? We are fully aware of the wrong that we've done when we consider the greatness of God. When we look at the work of the cross and how Jesus died for me, a sinner, it seems odd. It might even seem wrong to think of ourselves as saints, we find it much easier to refer to ourselves as sinners rather than saints. But in his opening address, how does Paul address the Philippians? He says, verse 1, the second half, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi. 
he calls them saints. Okay, lean into this moment right here, okay? In fact, like I said earlier, the word sin or sinner is never used in this letter. There's no rebuke or correction of wrongdoing. Sin is not the focus. Not that the Christians in Philippi were perfect or without sin. They had their problems, I'm sure. But to Paul, one of the most godly men to ever walk the earth, to Paul, sin doesn't seem worth addressing. Let that sink in for just a moment. And this isn't just a trend in Philippians, but all throughout the Bible. Right? There are over 300 references to sinners in the Bible, but only three of those are possibly referring to Christians. And those three times are heavily debated within scholarship. Right? On the flip side of that, there are over 200 references to Christians as saints, holy, righteous, pure, Right? The Bible, the word of God, speaks more favorably of Christians than it does unfavorably. And my question to you is, do you do the same? When you think about yourself as a follower of Jesus, or when you think of other Christians, do you see yourself or others as sinners or saints? Do you think or speak favorably of yourself and other Christians, children of God, or unfavorably? Are you focused more on your and other people's sinfulness or your and their sainthood? Okay, because here's the truth. You and I, we're going to sin. All of us, we're going to sin. There's no denying that. Sin may describe some of your activity, but it does not define your entire identity in Christ. You will sin some of the time, but you are a saint all of the time in Christ. Sin is some of what you will do, but not the totality of who you are in Christ. There's a big difference between having sin and being sin. You are a new creation, the Bible says. And we are encouraged to take off that old self and put on the new self, which is as a saint. If you are a follower of Jesus, God no longer looks at you and sees you as a sinner, but as a saint. And the greatest thing is that because you have this new identity as a saint, you can have new victory over sin in Christ. So who are you? What is your identity in Christ Jesus? And not just who do you see yourself as, but how does God the Father see you? My brothers and sisters in Christ, my fellow saints in Jesus, God looks at you and sees a restored son or daughter of his. Like the father running to the prodigal son, God doesn't run up to you and say, why did you do all that bad stuff? No, he rejoices over you, clothes you in righteousness, restores your identity in him once again. And if your identity is based on what you do, you are a sinner. But if your identity is based on how God sees you and what Jesus has done for you, then you are a saint. And again, that doesn't mean we just disregard the sin in our lives and just think nothing of it. 
We are called to renew our minds. We're called to move forward towards maturity in Christ. We're called to imitate and become more like Jesus. And all of that is a process. Doug said it. It's a process. It takes time. Paul says in verse 6, the best. He says the best. I am sure of this, that he, God, who began a good work in you, will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. You can take it to the bank. You can count on it. It's a process. God began a good work in you when you said yes to him, and he will finish that good work. It's a process. And so with, or I'm sorry, and so what, what other people think about you? It's true. Your life might look messy. It might look a little chaotic. And people might say dumb things to you. But that's because they aren't seeing you from the right perspective. Like those perceptual art pieces. From one perspective, people might see you as a mess. But from God's perspective, he sees you as a work of art. From one perspective, people might see problems and pain in your life, but from God's perspective, he sees purpose and beauty. Are you catching what I'm throwing this morning? Right? I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion, church family. And so as we close, here's, here's what I want us to do. Here's what I think we need to do. We, we need this perspective shift. You are not a sinner. You are a saint in the eyes of God. And so we need to expel the lies about our identity and take in the truth about who we are in Christ. So what I would invite you to do this morning is just right now, and as Annette's playing in the background, if you would just close your eyes, and if you would just put your hands out like you're about to receive something, And in just a moment, what I want us to do is, I, I, want us, I want you to repeat some words after me. And if you're at home, do this as well. Close your eyes, hold out your hands like you're about to receive something. And my challenge right now is to not just think these words that I'm about to say, but actually repeat them out loud. There's something about keeping things in your head that keeps it in darkness, but we're called to bring all things to light. So my challenge is say these things out loud. Let's expel the lies and receive the truth this morning. So say these words after me and let's let our perspective shift. Here it is. Say this. I am not a sinner. I am a saint in Christ Jesus. Let it settle in for just a moment. Say, I am not filthy. I am clean in Christ Jesus. Say, I am not my dark past. I have a bright future. I am not rejected. I am an accepted son or daughter of God. My identity is not in what I do, but in who you say I am and what you've done for me. I am not a slave to sin, 
but I have victory in Christ Jesus. I am not a sinner. I am a saint in Christ Jesus. Just take a moment, receive that right now. Receive it, church family. Don't block it. Accept it. Perspectives are shifting as we speak. In the name of Jesus, I believe it. We are learning the perspective of joy as we speak. I believe it. It's so good. And just like Paul's prayer, I'm praying more, more, more of what God desires for us as we go through this book of Philippians. Greater perspective in Jesus' name. Amen. So here's some questions for you to consider and and reflect upon. Take a snapshot with your phone or write them down or screenshot if you're watching with us online. Number one, what is your general perspective on life? Positive or negative or just meh? Number two, what do you typically turn to for experiencing joy? Number three, do you usually see yourself as a sinner or as a saint? Why do you think that is? Number four, can you identify any perspective changes that need to happen in your life? What are they? So as as we've been doing the past few weeks, just take a a few more moments to, to maybe reflect on just one of these questions. Ask God to lead and guide your thinking and your heart right now. But before we leave and head out into the busy world, let's just run through these. Ask God to speak to you. Thank you for listening. If you are blessed by this episode and would like to help us create more content that magnifies and multiplies Jesus, would you consider giving a financial gift of any amount today? Whatever you give will go towards building the kingdom of God in the lives of people all over the world. Thank you for your support and we pray many blessings over you. Thank you.